0: Who are you? A rose by any other name would smell as sweet, so said William Shakespeare. But who are you in Christ? That's what we'll look at next on today's broadcast of Truth For Today. From Valley Bible Church in Hercules, welcome to the broadcast. This is Truth For Today with our teacher and pastor, Phil Howard. We're going to find ourselves in Ephesians today, beginning a series called, Who Are You? Now, we're going to look at the first couple of chapters of Ephesians to answer that question. Paul deals with it from the perspective of who we are according to God in Christ. A real encouraging look at our position in Christ is coming up today, so join us for this edition of Truth For Today. Here's Pastor Phil Howard.
1: Look at Ephesians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. To the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves." This book was written while Paul was in a Roman imprisonment, maybe, maybe an encyclical letter that was to be sent to several churches in the area of Ephesus and Laodicea, Colossae. Tychicus was probably the bearer of it from a man that was in prison, so it's often called a prison epistle. The, the city of Ephesus was ruled by a goddess named Diana. It was the multi-breasted god goddess. So it was the goddess of fertility, sensuality, vulgarity, which pagan religion abounded in. Paul spent much time here, over three years in Acts 18 and Acts 19. He spent in this city. But now he writes them a letter from prison. And uh, the epistle is marvelously uh, broken in two halves. The first three chapters speak of our riches in Christ what the believer is in Christ. Riches. The second three chapters are our responsibilities in Christ. You're rich in Christ as a son, as an heir of salvation, of all that God has given you. And now he begins to tell us in chapter 4, therefore, live like what I have made you to be. And so it's riches of grace, the riches of our responsibility to such grace so it's conveniently broken down sometimes you'll hear doctrine three chapters duties three chapters uh, our position in christ our practice in christ so it's a nicely compacted six chapter epistle and remember it was just a letter they didn't have chapters in it when they got it they read this in one sitting at the church of ephesus and uh, Uh, Sometimes people make their Bible reading hard. I'm almost through Ephesians. What do you mean? They read it publicly the first time, and they read it in Greek. And so uh, it's a marvelous epistle. I want to speak this morning on who are you? Who are you? Because that's exactly where this first half of the book begins. Who are we? Who are the people of God? Uh, in America, we don't usually ask who are you as much as what do you do? That's the common question. I do it all the time. That we normally ask people, what do you do? And I think a secondary equation that goes with that, how much do you make? Because if I can find out what you do, I can maybe categorize how much you make, and I can find out where to put you on the scale of important people. Now, that's interesting because in this church at Ephesus, it was planted in, and this is written around 60 AD, the Roman Empire had over 100 million slaves from all the captured countries. And so in a local church, you could easily have somebody that was a member of the Praetorian Guard, as in Philippians, sitting next to a household slave. So what they did was far removed. The slave owned nothing. The slave had no rights, but he might be a teacher of the master's children, might have some very sophisticated duties, but as far as status, he was but a conquered slave. And so... Paul is going to begin to deal with these believers of all status, sociologically, all kinds of vocations, and he's really going to begin to tell us, and we're going to look at six things he says we are, and next week I'm going to pick up with who we are, because I won't finish it today. Who are we? And that is maybe a more important question than what do you do? What if I said, I'm a garbage man? Ooh, you're not worth much. What if I said, I'm a banker? Ooh, you're worth a lot. Uh, Scripture doesn't deal with God's people based on what they do. He tells us who we are. And we want to get that firmly planted in our mind. I love the um, work of Robert McGee in the book, The Search for Significance. And he gives a paradigm of two ways to appraise your worth. One, he calls the satanic equation. And it goes like this. Your self-worth equals your performance and the opinions of others. Now, don't you think, especially think of when you were a young person, youth, teenager. Uh, I think James Dobson, when he wrote his book on uh, adolescence and growing up, is the most important things to kids were what their peers thought of them, physical beauty and money. Physical beauty, some money, and what my peers think of me. And if my peers think I'm ugly, I'm ugly. If my peers don't like me, I must not be likable. And So we live all of our lives with this equation. My worth is based on how well I perform I'm good, you know So I've got to excel in athletics or something to prove. I am good And we're on this lifelong statement, and it is so hard to admit when we are not good When we're not super achievers. I often ask myself does the Down syndrome child have any worth? Not on this equation They can't perform with a straight A student. They can't compete in their field and track meet. Do they have worth? Ask any parent of such a child, and believe me, they've got worth. Hitler followed the philosophy of Nietzsche, who taught utilitarianism. And utilitarianism says a person's value is based on what they can do. And if they are maimed, if they're Jewish, or if they're a gypsy, or if there's something about them, if they've got dark hair, they don't serve the human race well. Eliminate them. And we may have a little bit of utilitarianism in us. If you're not a tool for my purpose, you have no worth. That's why we want to pay attention to what God says. God's formula for us is, God's truth, your worth, equals what God says about you. What am I worth today? Not what Red Book magazine says. Not what all the boys at school say. Not what all the chicks say. But it's what my creator says about me. That's what I am. I've got to get a right opinion source. And I'm going to take you to the right source for knowing who you are. And I'm talking about if you're a believer in Christ. I don't care if you were in chains I don't care what your race is your gender is your economics have to be let me tell you what god says his people are in his sight now listen to the satanic lie and we'll just compare it to god the lie is those who fail are unworthy to be loved how many of you grew up on that if i don't perform good enough i'm not worth love you got to perform what don't you drop that boy you drop that you're not my son you ever hear anybody say that you better cut it If you're going to be my boy you'd better exceed what if i don't am i still a son you're just a son without approval god says i am deeply loved i'm loved so much he'd give up christ to prove it second I must meet certain standards to feel good about myself. If I don't, I feel like a failure. We never talk about C student children, it's always the straight A's. So you can never feel good about yourself if you were just average. There are no average people. There are no average people that God died for. He died for people, not straight A students. Now make the best grade you can, but don't think you have less worth if you got a C. Justification says, I am completely righteous before God in Christ. I'm in the right in his sight, even if I got a D. Anybody ever get a D? Raise your hand. I got it in college. I got married, got to kissing so much, I got mononucleosis. (laughs) Nearly flunked Greek and what else uh, a business course I had to be there every day to keep the books shoot the kitchen was better than the Greek but anyway I got sick Carolyn you maybe get two T's uh, <laughs> let's see there uh, thirdly I must be approved accepted by certain others to feel good about myself and I really see this in girls since I raised girls I know and our house always had girls I always cried when I got my own underwear. I mean, there were so many girls in our house. And uh, come come on, folks, loosen up. This is a new year. If you can't get that, get over it. Uh, uh, Get some bigger shorts. You know, loosen up. Uh, If I am not approved, I I would always talk to those girls that come to our house. It didn't matter, you know, little, growing up. and and i just think they were just darling i'd say honey did you know you're pretty i never had one of them say yeah i am well it kind of felt good in a way but uh, they always struggle with that and i got to get a boyfriend to have worth you don't need a boyfriend to have worth you don't have to throw your body to him whenever date or nobody's ever going to like me ever going to date me so i'll throw my morals out because i have such a low sense of worth that I've got to become a slave to anybody's affections. I want to tell you, you've got worth just as an individual, and you don't need bozo to give you worth. Now, you may eventually marry, but don't marry them because you've got to get your worth from them. Because even in a marriage, you'll have to look to someone higher than your mate for your worth. You'll have to look to your God. Well, God offers reconciliation. I've totally accepted. Oh, here's one you hear. We get this in counseling a lot. I am what I am. It's just the way I am. Oh, yuck. Uh, I cannot change. I am hopeless. Are you a Christian? Yes. But I'm forever bound to this sin. You just undid everything the gospel says. Regeneration is new life, new beginning. God says if any person is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things pass away, and behold, all things become new. God, didn't, God loves you too much to leave you the way he found you. I loved you enough to take you as you were, but believe me, he's not going to leave you that way. By the time you get to glory, nobody's going to hardly recognize you because God is going to change you through thick or thin. Well, let's find out what we are. Now, if you ask me, you say, who are you? The first thing I am, and I want everyone to man, this and not laugh, I am a saint. Amen. Yes. To the saints, not the ain'ts, the saints in Ephesus. Now, you're either an ain't or a saint. Now, uh, this word, when you hear saint, if you come from a Roman Catholic background, You're used to a whole process of sainthood, that you've got to die to be a saint. They're trying to figure out if Mother Teresa is a saint. And part of the criteria in Catholicism is you have to have performed at least one, and really preferably two miracles. They go through a whole court hearing, and they have to appoint a a devil's advocate to find as much fault or blemishes in this person to discredit them, And if they get through this court system and they are proven uh, to be blameless, proven to have done some miracles, they enter into sainthood. The Bible never talks that way. It calls the people of God saints. What does that mean? It means holy ones. It means people set apart unto God. And Jesus said that in John 17, we are not of the world, We've been taken out of the world, and God has formed us into a separate community of people in his sight. And we are the holy ones who belong to the holy God. Now, we're not the perfect ones, because you'll find out in this epistle they were doing some sins. He had to tell them to stop. Uh, The the real mind blower on this, look back at 1 Corinthians 1. 1 Corinthians 1, go left in your Bible. Not west, go left. Um, Verse 2, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. Sanctified. Man, already done. Now, as you read the epistle, this church had all kinds of problems. They were fighting, divided, suing one another, sleeping with the wrong person. I mean lots of sin going on at Corinth, but their status before God was, you are the set-apart ones. And it goes this way. Before God, in Christ, I've been set apart. I have that status. And now on the earth, he wants me to live like what he has made me before him. The story is told of Napoleon one time finding a guard asleep. A sentry man was asleep when he came by. And uh, uh, he didn't find him. He was found out. They brought the soldier to Napoleon, sleeping on duty. And they expected execution. But Napoleon gave the soldier this warning. Either do your duties as a soldier of France or get out of the uniform. Change your uniform or live up to the duties commensurate with it. And what God tells His people is, in my sight, I've set you aside to be holy. Now I want you to live like that. I call you saints. You don't have to die. You don't have to go through a court. You're the holy ones on the earth. And I think church life, we could all the ones we always have to be critical of is one another because that's who we're going to heaven with. If you ever think this crowd isn't saints, You need to get out in the world big time and you'll find out what the ain'ts live like. And maybe you'll quit being critical of the saints who are blemished, who have faults, who aren't perfect, but you want to see what the ain'ts are doing. We are the people of God and we are in process and my status before him, if someone asks me and I just love it, who are you? If I just did this the next time I went to the store, I'm a saint, you know, the place would go up in laughter but you are a saint two you are the faithful and that word to be faithful or believing and it has two parts the word there means uh, you've either been one that who's exercised faith in christ and to have exercised faith in christ is that intellectually you have heard the good news that christ is the son of god that he died for you that he was buried rose again and you heard the content of the gospel, you repented and you believed. Second part of that is emotionally you embraced Christ. It was not just facts outside, but emotionally you engaged. There's a lot of folks that know the facts that are not saved, they're just going to hell informed because facts alone don't save. You must emotionally. I embrace these truths as mine. I embrace Christ. I am moved in the innermost being and volitionally, I choose to follow Christ. That's why water baptism is so important. It's the first act of obedience that you show immediately, I volitionally will follow this Christ. The New Testament church never counted you to be a Christian until you were baptized. Why? It was the first act of obedience you could give to Christ, and it may cost you everything. So baptism was very important in the early church, and still is in third world countries. Especially a Muslim country to have go undergo water baptism is to maybe lose your job, lose your family, and lose your life. It is no light little water tank experience. It is a break. It is a declaration. So to the faithful, it's first of all those who have believed in Christ, But it's a present tense, usually in John, those who are believing. And here it's a noun. We are the believing ones. We're characterized as having not only put faith in Christ back here, but we're known as the ones year after year, year after year, month after month. We are believing God, following God. We are the faithful ones. We persevere in the faith we professed. We didn't just go to a Billy Graham meeting 20 years, raise our hand, sign a card, and we haven't been in church since. We're not that. That's not salvation. No, we met Christ and something was born in us, the seed of God, that has made us through thick and thin, persecution, human failure, life struggles, illness, sickness, misunderstanding, every season, ups and downs, and you just still see the saint, are you still following him? Yes, I am a believing one. I am a faithful one. I am a persevering one. It's in the child of God to follow him forever. And if you're not persevering, we have every right to question your salvation. God doesn't have a salvation that drops off in this life. You may fall into sin, but you got to get up. The difference between sheep and hogs is hogs love to wallow. If you gave the hog and the sheep a bath, you let them go, that hog is going to look for a miry place because it's in his nature. Sheep get dirty because they fall. They are not made to wallow. And we sheep in this world, we sometimes fall. And sometimes we get mud on us. And we do stuff we wish we hadn't have done. But there's something in us that says, I want to go. I want to get up. And did you know what? Sometimes those sheep get so bogged down that they can't get up. Because the wool is thick. And if it's wet. They lay there, I forget the term. Philip Keller used the term. It's, they use it in New Zealand and we're the sheep, they're just laying there with all four feet in the air. Help! <laughs> help! They'll die. They'll die. Help, I'm a sheep. I'm not supposed to be here. And we come up and give them a lecture. You should have never got there. I know it. Will you help me? No. I'm going to criticize you for getting in that condition they need shepherds and you set them back up and they go looking for the brook and the green pastures and they wave at the hog i would never hang out where you do i just slipped it's not my nature to wallow see we are the people who are the faithful in christ jesus
0: This has been Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. If you would like to review today's broadcast, well, we are available toll-free. Give us a call, 855-833-9864. That's 855-833-9864. Now, if you would like a copy of today's program, in fact, if you would like the entire four CD set called Who Are You, be one of our first 10 callers. And for a donation of $10 or more, we'll send a copy your way. So give us a call today and request the series again for a gift of $10 or more. Our phone number is 855-833-9864. Again, ask for the series by name, Who Are You? That phone number again is 855-833-9864. If you're writing to us, our address is Truth For Today, 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue. That's Suite 278 here in Hercules. The zip code is 94547. And if you would like more information again simply give us a call. We have a new website on our way in the meantime, valleybible.org is a great place to start. It'll give you a lot of insight as to who we are and what we believe and our church and our location as well. You are invited to join us. If you're not involved in a church fellowship, do stop by Valley Bible Church here in Hercules. Again, details at our website valleybible.org or call 855 855- And let one of the ushers know you were invited by the radio broadcast. That would encourage us a great deal. Today's program is sponsored through the generous donation of our listeners. We do thank you for partnering with us here at Truth For Today. Until next time, may the Lord richly bless you as you seek Jesus Christ and His truth for today.